Dr. Robert Epstein is professor, author, journalist, and senior research psychologist for behavioral research and technology, and an expert on big tech and the policing of social media. Dr. Epstein, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, I'm now past worrying myself about the surveillance society. I don't do things that I'm ashamed of, uh, and therefore uh, they can spy on me all they like. But I am very concerned that they may be poised to stop me speaking to other people like you and like the big audience for this show. Am I right to be worried? Oh, yes. <laughs> I know more about that probably than anyone in the world. And uh, yes, you were right to be worried. Well, tell us, first of all, how we got here and where we now are and where they might be going next. Well, as you said yourself, the internet initially, uh, the hope was, would be a, a kind of a playground for ideas. It would level the playing field. I mean, no one foresaw what's actually uh, happened. So what has happened? What's happened is that uh, the content we see is controlled mainly by two very large monopolies, uh, neither of which can be broken up. Uh, the antitrust actions being taken against Google right now in Europe and in the US are actually shams, complete shams. Uh, they were designed by Google's legal team. You can't break up Google's search engine because it won't work. Uh, and you can't break up Facebook's social media platform because that would be like putting the Berlin Wall you know, through the, the center of every home in the world. So uh, you know, these companies know this. Uh, so, you know, they they work with the lawmakers and regulators uh, to their own advantage. So you end up with very big monopolies uh, controlling content uh, and deciding what mo now more than 5 billion people around the world can see and cannot see. And you've said this yourself, and I know you're concerned about that and you're worried about uh, your own uh, presence being uh, suppressed uh, on the internet. And these uh, companies, Google especially, they're very aggressive and also very arbitrary in the decisions that they make uh, regarding uh, censorship and suppression. And they do work closely with governments. And unfortunately, uh, the new law that was just went into effect in the EU and the law that might be going into effect in the UK, uh, they, they create a closer tie closer than it's ever been between the big tech companies, the big tech monopolies, and governments. So the tech companies become kind of agents of change for the governments. Uh, no matter how, how you look at this, uh, it's a dire situation. Um, in, back in 1961, uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Eisenhower, by the way, was uh, head of Allied forces in World War II, but this was uh, his last speech as president. He talked about the rise of a military industrial complex. He was concerned about that. People still repeat that phrase quite a bit. But in that very same speech, people don't, don't know this, but I went back and read it. In that very same speech, he warned about the rise of a technological elite 
that could someday control public policy without people's knowledge. Well, uh, the truth is the technological elite are now in control. How do I know about all these things? Because I have been using very rigorous scientific methods for more than 11 years to study the new powers that these tech companies have to shift people's thinking and opinions and votes. Uh, and I've developed a possible solution, a way to, to make these companies accountable to the public for the first time. I've developed monitoring systems. In other, in other words, I've developed ways of doing to them what they do to us and our kids 24 hours a day to surveil them as they surveil us and to make the information a public and to share it with public officials. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. Uh, my team is the only mm -hmm. team in the world that does this kind of research and does this kind of monitoring. Uh, there's something wrong with that picture. But bottom line is, yes, you have cause for concern. It would be less worrisome, Doctor, wouldn't it, if we had politicians that believed in freedom of speech and freedom of expression. I think we can safely say we now don't. So those who are in power, the opposition might feel differently until they are in power. But those who are in power have no greater ambition than to stay in power, and staying in power depends upon shaping the narrative, shaping the uh, public square and the discourse therein uh, in a way that is not disadvantageous to them. Or we had big tech companies, owners, publishers, uh, who believed in the publish and be damned principle, who believed in the principle of Voltaire that I hate what you say, but I'll a fight to the death to defend you saying it, uh, your right to say it. Given that we don't have that kind of publisher and we don't have those kind of politicians, we're in a very, very difficult place, Doc. Well, absolutely. And this is something now that we have learned how to measure very precisely. So at the moment, we're building the world's first, we call it a nationwide digital shield. Uh, if you want a kind of a, a peek at what's coming, in fact, this is going to be updated very soon. It's going to look a lot better within a few days. You would go to americasdigitalshield.com. What we have been building over the past year is a system for tracking the content, the real content that the tech companies are showing to real people, to voters, registered voters, and to children as well. We now have more than 11,700 registered voters in our system in all 50 US states, more than 2,000 children. These are children of some of, our, uh, some of those adults who've joined our system. And what these, these people have done is allowed us to install special software on their computers which does not violate their privacy, by the way. And that allows us to kind of look over their shoulders and capture the content that the big tech companies are sending to them and to their children. That content is immediately aggregated and analyzed. So we can see whether, in fact, there are manipulations in play. We can see whether kids are being indoctrinated and exactly how they're being indoctrinated. And the point that is that we are capturing, we're preserving content 
which has never been preserved before and which these companies use strategically and deliberately, sometimes at the behest of government authorities, to change people's thinking and behavior and votes. Uh, the power that these companies have to do this is beyond anything that my old mentor at Harvard, B.F. Skinner, ever imagined. Uh, he was very much into you know, benign control, the concept of benign control. Uh, but what these companies have available to them has never existed before in human history. They literally, by 2015, they were determining the outcomes of about 25% of the national elections in the world uh, with no one knowing what they were doing and without leaving a paper trail for authorities to trace. So I just want to introduce one concept here and then I'll, 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 I'll let you interrupt me. I'll let you talk. And that's the concept of ephemeral experiences. In 2018, there was a leak of emails from Google to the Wall Street Journal in which employees at Google were talking about how can we use ephemeral experiences to change people's views about Trump's travel ban? Well, my head spun when I saw that because that's what my team and I had been studying since 2013 for, for more than five years at that point. And we had been learning in our experiments that by manipulating ephemeral experiences, these fleeting experiences we have online, like uh, search suggestions, that are being flashed at you while you're typing a search term, the search results that appear in the list below, the ordering of YouTube videos on YouTube, the up next video that plays automatically if you do nothing. All of that is ephemeral, which means that it's generated on the fly just for you. It disappears, it's stored nowhere, and no one can go back in time and preserve it. It's the ideal tool for manipulating the masses worldwide. And that's what we have learned now, not just to study and quantify, but we have learned to preserve it. Believe me, these companies never imagined that anyone ever would figure out how to preserve that kind of content, archive it, analyze it. They never imagined that. And so they're quite unhappy with me and my people, quite unhappy with us. But meanwhile, we are forging ahead. And we now have almost 12,000 field agents, all registered voters in all 50 states. Uh, in recent months, we have preserved more than 45 million. We crossed the 45 million mark yesterday. 45 million of these ephemeral experiences. And we have been identifying the bias and the manipulations that these companies are using to shift people's thinking and opinions and votes. Now they can't affect everyone. They're affecting the people who are undecided. But think about it, in an election, it's the people who are undecided who determine who wins, especially in close elections. And Google knows exactly who those people are and they are using these techniques strategically and deliberately to shift votes we know in 2020 that Google shifted more than 6 million votes to Joe Biden, whom I happened to support at the time. But still, I object to the fact that a private company that's not accountable to the public can shift that many votes. If our system is shut down, if we can't find sufficient funding to keep it going and growing, if we shut down in the next few months, 
the 2024 election in the U.S., the presidential election, the outcome will be determined by Google. They will be able to shift in that election between 6.4 and 25.5 million votes. And again, if there's no monitoring system in place, they'll do it without anyone knowing what they have done and leaving no paper trail whatsoever for authorities to trace. Well, you're definitely doing uh, God's work. Uh, I doubt if Elon Musk could be so described, but he is, I think, undoubtedly uh, better than the others in that he has, to a considerable degree, though not entirely, uh, freed his platform from what was the most corrupt relationship between the old Twitter, pre-Elon Musk, and the deep state. I mean, we now know, thanks to Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk himself, some of the heinous manipulation and corrupt dealing uh, with uh, secret uh, security agencies and so on that uh, Twitter was involved in uh, before. How much longer will they tolerate that? If they are going to ban Rumble, isn't the ground being prepared for a potential ban on Musk? Oh, it's quite possible. In fact, I think that Musk would be extremely interested in what my team and I have been doing, the systems we've been building, because these are systems that, that create accountability where none has ever existed before. I've simply found it impossible to reach him. I'm able to reach lots of other prominent people, uh, but I've been unable to reach Elon. But he's been speaking out uh, against these companies and their, the way they, they suppress content. Uh, he's been speaking out against them for years. Uh, one of the reasons that he purchased Twitter was to change the way it operates because they were operating in a, in a very dramatically political fashion. But, you know, Twitter is much smaller than these other uh, entities, uh, tw um, namely Google and Facebook, it's much, much smaller. So the real threats really come from the larger companies. Uh, you know, the, let's just take one example, Google's homepage. Normally there's nothing on it except the little box where you type in your search term. But on certain occasions, you know, they'll put a big colorful display of something and a message. So on election day, for example, in the U.S., I'm sure they do the same thing in the U.K., on election day, they have a big go vote reminder. Well, they get a lot of praise for doing that because everyone thinks that's a public service. But because we are monitoring, we know it's not a public service. It is a vote manipulation, a very blatant one. So, for example, in the 2022 midterms where we were doing extensive monitoring and where we preserved more than 2.5 million ephemeral experiences related to the midterm elections in the U.S. In Florida, 100% of liberals were getting those go vote reminders on Google's homepage all day long, all day long on election day. I mean, that homepage is seen in the U.S. alone more than 500 million times a day. Were conservatives also getting those reminders in Florida? 59% of conservatives were getting those messages, 59%. Now that is an incredibly blatant manipulation of votes. 
If you are sending out go vote reminders in a partisan fashion nationwide in this country in a presidential election, on election day alone, that will give an additional 450,000 extra votes to one of the presidential candidates. And if there's no one monitoring, no one will ever know that you did that. And what does it cost the company to do a manipulation like that? Nothing. Zero. This is dangerous stuff. These are huge manipulations. This is not like the ballot stuffing and all that stuff that people are concerned about. You know, in fact, Google and Facebook, they're trying to point people in that direction. It's like what magicians do, you know, misdirection. They're saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look at all these silly little effects and, and go crazy over them because they don't want you looking at them. Because those little effects that people are obsessed with, uh, these conspiracy theories, so-called, they don't have much of a net impact on elections. But what Google and Facebook are doing, that's completely different. That, that shifts millions of votes. So we're up against uh, uh, some powerful entities here, the likes of which have never existed before. And they're not just manipulating people in the US. They're manipulating more than 5 billion people around the world. And believe me, they are manipulating people in the EU and the UK uh, to an extraordinary extent. You know what's ironic about that? Just one more comment and I'll shut up. One more comment. What's ironic about Google's manipulations in the UK is that uh, in the UK and the EU, has been, they've both been very aggressive in taking Google on. And uh, the EU has fined Google more than 10 billion euros in recent years for various kinds of manipulations, including favoring certain products in their uh, search results. Uh, so they've gotten these fines and they've gotten orders to do this or that. But, you know, they've completely ignored them. What's lacking in both the UK and the EU is a monitoring system. If there's no monitoring system in place, you'll never know whether they are complying with orders, with rules, with regulations that they're supposed to be following, you'll never know they're doing it unless you're monitoring. Well, uh, both Donald Trump and Elon Musk have been known to tune in to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Two million people every week do over the course of uh, seven days. I very much hope that they watch this interview, Dr. Epstein, and if they haven't, we'll do everything that we can to draw it to their attention. Thank you very much can I give out, for joining us. Can I give out a link, month. sir? Yes, of course, of course. If people can, people can learn more about my work and help to support it by going to mygoogleresearch.com. That's mygoogleresearch.com, and I hope very much that you'll help us uh, we're doing very important work, and we can't do it without your support.